Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. So, okay, so we're digging in. Um, to be honest, like, again, my studies have been on the, the how to disciple aspect of things while going through your books. And each week, matching stuff up has been pretty easy so far. Like last week we were talking about he's given us the words. And then we are talking about the scripture between these two studies that we're going through. Um, this one, I was kind of wondering how these two were going to go together. And then I kind of found a connection when going through your guys' studies. Because uh, this, this week was all about intentional relationships and how to love other people and what kind of relationships we have in our lives and how God has designed those. And within that, on page 145 on your book, uh, there's the statement that all change comes from relationships. And then he defended that from his perspective, that, that statement that all change comes from relationships. And then going through, like, this is how Jesus took and ministered to different people, depending on the relationship, depending on the death, depending on how, how much time that they've been able to invest in. And then in mine, on, uh, in my studies, there was another one that says you can only reproduce uh, who you are. And that, uh, so I thought about that for a little bit, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense, that I can, if I can only reproduce who I am within the relationships, then it comes back to where I'm at as well. Because I, I really can't disciple the people that are deeper than I am or the more mature than I am, but I, I can reproduce. And do I have something that's worthy of reproducing? And so today we're going to talk about sanctification. It's a big church word, sanctification. Um, and matter of fact, Lisa, if we can put up that definition just to kind of get us started. To sanctify means to be set apart, to be cleansed, purified, dedicated, or consecrated. Okay? So sanctification is the process of us going to be more like Christ by being set apart, by living differently, by being cleansed, by being purified. And the way that we do that successfully, I mean, there are choices that you and I make, but realistically, we can't do that without Christ. That the scripture I put there at Hebrews 9, 13 to 14, uh, you can check it out when you get home. But the author of Hebrews is talking about in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in the old ways before Jesus fulfilled the law, we needed sheep or we needed a sacrifice and we needed something that needed to be prepared to be blemished, uh, unblemished so that it could take and with a few drops of blood cover the sin that's within us to be able to sanctify us. That was the process. When Jesus came, according to Hebrews 9.13, how much more when we accept Jesus in our lives, when he cleanses us, are we through his blood than a few drops of an animal? That, 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 that fulfillment of those aspects. So that's what we're going to be looking at specifically today is what choices Christ made in his life to be sanctified, how he looks at us, and how we can take and dive into it more and more as well. Does that sound good? Everybody in? Okay. So if you would, let's go ahead and go to Matthew 16, and we'll read a little, talk a little. Again, if you don't have Bible with you, you've got Bibles underneath the chairs and the baskets around the room. Uh, also, if you have version, which is a free app on your phone, um, you can go in there. You can do a search for local live events. You'll see TSF and today's date. And when you open that, it's got all the scriptures, a place to take notes, all that kind of fun stuff as well. But we're going to go to Matthew 16 just to kind of warm us up a little bit. 
and look at what Jesus has to say when it comes to how we are sanctified and the choices that we have. Uh, so I'm going to read, let's see, I'll go over the side. So now verse 21, where it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. But he turned, Jesus turned, and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not uh, setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now we can do a whole lot of talking on those last two verses. But the main thing I want to pull from this uh, for now is just the, cult, the context. This is about nine months before Jesus is killed. This is the very first time that he says to his disciples at all anything about him being, having to suffer and die. This is the first time he's making that announcement. So it's not like they've heard it several times, or they didn't, won't quite get what he was saying, and they understood it later after he died and resurrected, and those type of things. This is the first time he's bringing this up, and they're obviously upset about it. They're obviously thrown about it. And uh, so he, first time, is now talking about, as I leave, as I prepare to leave, this is what I want you to know. So verse 24. Jesus then tells his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever should save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains everything, the whole world, and forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will pay each person accordingly to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here that will not taste death, until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Again, the last verse is a whole other sermon. You can look them up in our podcast because we have talked about that pretty in depth. But for today, look at the things that Jesus is saying when it comes to the sanctification. Deny yourself. Okay? Deny yourself. So I, my wants, my, well, it kind of seems to me stuff, or this is, this, this is what I think should happen. Deny myself. Take up the cross daily. Right? Oh, I'm picking up that darn cross for three and a half years, I just want a day off. Pick up the cross daily to stay in step with him. Follow me, right? Brett and I don't have to do our little skit from last week again, do we? I think we all got that. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right, you weren't here. Did you get to see it online? Brent, Brent's performance was bravo. Right? Brent, okay. We'll talk about it later. But You watch that part twice? Something definitely wrong with you, sister. It, then he says, if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. And if you lose your life for him, then you will find it. And you will be rewarded, each person, according to what they have done. Now, don't understand the last part. Misunderstand the last part. I cannot be good enough to go to heaven. That's not what, what he's saying. If I do enough good things, then I go to heaven. But once I accept the grace and the gift of Jesus Christ and that forgiveness, then I change. And I want to grow to be more like Jesus. And I want to grow in a way that I'm a better example. I want to grow where I can share my testimony. I want to grow in a way that I can help people behind me while I'm being mentored from those that are in front of me. So those things I will be rewarded for. So whatever I'm losing here, nothing compared to what I'm gaining above, the things that we can't lose. So from the very beginning that he tells them there's going to be this shift, he's immediately going into sanctification mode. He's immediately going into a place of where we're going to be moving forward. So in this, and in this particular study, sometimes with uh, my study, again, bo- both studies are Dan Spader, um, I kind of 
see something, then I kind of go off on my little tangents. This week, most of what I'm about to show is these next six steps are completely Dan Spader. I just want to give him full credit uh, for what he is. I'm not real big on pretending like I'm smarter than I am. So the next uh, thing I want to go into is the attributes of Jesus that he lived that let him be sanctified so that we can adopt them as well and put those on the table, and then we'll bring it together at the end. So good? Is everybody still with me? Okay. So I'm going to need Lisa's help. So the first one is he lived his life in a way that he was willing. He willingly followed Christ. Um, John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me, Jesus, speaking here, but I lay it down in my, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. He was willing to take whatever hit there was that his father led him to do. Constantly, we see this attitude in Jesus' life for his three years of public ministry. Lord, I know that you can heal me if you are willing. I am willing. Your sins are forgiven. Over and over again, he continues to lead into this willingness of, um, of his father to the very point of laying down his life and picking up again. Jesus being very clear, I don't got to do this. He's very clear in his prayer in the garden. I really don't want to do this. Father, if there's any way that you can remove this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. I'm willing to follow you, whatever it takes, was an attitude that he had to be able to lean into it. Second one that we'll go to is intentionally. He lived intentionally. Luke 9, 51. And this, this is a voice that's become more familiar to us over the last th- uh, three months. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. You remember when we did the study on his last trip to Jerusalem, and we looked at when he knew that this was the last time he'd seen everybody, how his teaching changed, how his attitude changed, how purposeful he was. This is the very beginning of it, when he says it's time, and he intently set his face to Jerusalem to go do the mission that his father had sent him here to take the punishment of sin for us. And so for, he was very intent to be able to do what the father has. Um, we, again, see this over and over again. If you look at the first miracle, when he turned the water into wine, mom comes up to him and says, there's a problem, you've got to step in. And he says what? It's not my time. It's not my time to be publicly known. And she says, whatever moms say to make their kids do what they may. I'll break your leg. <laughs> but, but whatever the case it was, she, she, she was used, and again, there's all kinds of theological debate on why Jesus did what mom wanted instead of what dad told him. But uh, I, he, he revealed himself in that moment to the disciples, his mom saw it, and the people that got the water, and nobody else knew. It wasn't his time to go public yet, but he still was able to help. So he had to stop and intentionally think, how does mom's request fit into my father's timing? He was very much intentional into that aspect of things. When his brothers, um, if you're not familiar with this, his, his biological half-brothers, they thought Jesus was nuts until after his death and resurrection. Uh, we have different times when they're coming and making fun of him or trying to get him to come home because it's an embarrassment to the family. Now James and uh, Jude, that we see in the New Testament, all his half-brothers, they do come to Jesus after his death and resurrection. But at the time, they thought he was crazy, crazy. And there's a time that they come to him and say, well, it's time for Passover. Why don't you go down there and show them your miracles? Let's let everybody see how awesome you are. It is not my time yet to go down for the Passover. The funny thing is, he left five minutes later <laughs> without his brothers knowing because he knew they were trying to set him up. But nonetheless, he was very intentional on why, when, and how he moved. 
This is why when people wanted to stone him to death, he could just walk through the crowd and leave because it's not my time to be killed yet. So he's very intentional on his timing and how these things came into being. Next one. Are you note taken? Lovingly. He lived lovingly. Uh, I always like the fact that these two verses go together. It's, again, when John wrote his gospel and then John wrote his letters, uh, there was no chapters, there were no verses, but for some reason I like that in timing over the years that they are so close together with both being 316s. But anyways, one of the most popular ones, for God so loved the world. And since it's popular, I'm going to go slower because we go too fast to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For as John in the letter, the same chapter, same verse, by this there be no love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Uh, he was very loving in the way that he moved. And um, I think it was in your guys' books, if you guys remind me, I think he told a, a story about a Bruce something. <laughs> I'm still not going to be able to pronounce that. Marchenio? Bruce Marchenio, do you guys remember that story? He played Jesus in the Gospel according to Mark or the Gospel according to Matthew. It was like, I think, early 90s. Um, if you watch it today, it's got a little bit of a cheese factor to it, but back then it was cutting edge. And um, he shared a quote that this guy who played Jesus shared that he had just become a Christian when he got the role. And he didn't know much about Jesus at all. But he knew that he was loving and he had to play the part as the most loving person he could possibly imagine with the feel-good love and also the hard love. And again, it's like the 100% love, 100% the truth thing that we talk about all the time. And that's how he nailed it, quite frankly. And, and Dan was talking about, like, if you want to understand something about Jesus to start out with, loving is definitely a part of that. Uh, if we don't have a loving motivation, I don't even know what we're doing here. So uh, that's definitely one of the qualifications he has as well. Next one, we got Lisa. Ding! Courageously. He lived courageously. Uh, Psalm 44, 22. I know I'm going back uh, into the OT for that, but it's still talking about Jesus. This, this is a, um, a prophecy verse or a messianic verse uh, talking about the future as well as who they were at the day and also to who we are now. But yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And again, if we're following Christ, that kind of applies to you and I too. We're going to take hits. We're going to have tough times. But Jesus still moved in such a way that was courageous. As a matter of fact, if you would, uh, you don't have to keep your place in Matthew 16. We're going to go to Romans 8. And to the letter that Paul wrote in Rome. Keep in mind also, when Paul wrote this, he was in a house prison. So Paul had always dreamt about going to Rome to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ ever since he was saved. Rome was the capital. Rome was the center. If he could just go and get Rome, then the message would continue out from Rome and be able to go out into the other communities that they were over since they were over the entire world. And instead of being able to walk in triumphantly and start preaching on the street corners, he was arrested because of his faith, slapped into a house, and the only audience he had was letters and his guards. So it's a pretty tough situation that he's in compared to the, what, he, what he had in his head. But yet he wrote this. I'm going to start on verse 31. And I'm going to skip every other verse for a little bit. We'll just, just get four verses out there for you. Start now in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things, these challenges, these sufferings that, that, that we have? If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? 
33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect or Christians or his children? It is God who justifies. 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation separate us from the love of Christ? Or distress separate us from the love of Christ? Or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What will separate us from Christ? 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is why we can be as courageous as Christ was. This particular section, there's another section as well, and there's a few of them uh, throughout the New Testament. I call this the halftime speech. Um, if you think about those old football movies and they're like down horribly at the end of the second quarter and they go into halftime and the coach comes in and goes, hey guys, and next thing you know they're like champions and they're running out of the field and stuff. This is a halftime speech to me. This is, this, this is written to someone who's beat up, feeling like they're lost, feeling like God's a mile away, and he's saying, what's going to separate you? We're more than conquerors. We are in Jesus Christ. This is the type of talk that he's giving to us to help us be able to help us with our courage. Uh, next one, second to last, is he lived and trusted. Ding. Okay. Then Jesus called out in a loud voice saying, Father, into my, your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus on the cross completely to the very end entrusted himself to his Father's will. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, makes sense, and that he rewards those who seek God. Throughout the scripture, over and over and over again, it talks about the importance and the necessity of us to actually have faith and follow the faith. That we believe he is who he is, he is bigger than everything else, so why are we stressed out so bad? Um, couple others I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll say them twice because I'm not putting them up on the screen for you if you want to look them up later. Uh, Romans 14, 23. Romans 14, 23. Talks about whatever does not come from faith is sin. I don't know about you, but that one kind of kicks in the gut. Whatever I th think I can do of my own accord and is not coming from faith. Galatians 3, 11. Galatians for the Cajuns, 3.11. Sorry, I just thought Cajun man, Adam Sandler, back in the old Saturday Night Live. Law is not faith. Law is not faith. The righteousness live by faith. Still, the old covenant is not by faith. It's to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. We, in the church age, live by faith. First John 5.4. First John 5.4. Our faith overcomes the world 100% of the time. Our faith overcomes the world 100% of the time if we entrust ourselves into the Lord. And Jesus did just that. And the last one we'll give you this of that he embraced is he endured. He endured. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of of God. Look at that verse closely and don't miss one extremely important point. He endured the cross because his focus was what was on beyond the cross. If his focus was on the cross itself, he would not be able to have joy when he's being tortured, spit upon, made fun of, and tortured in the most, one of the most horrendous deaths that we know of crucifixion of one of the most painful deaths. He would not be able to have a joy if his joy wasn't beyond that. Of guess what? I get to go home. 
Guess what? I get to be with my father. Guess what? I get to get back on that throne that I gave up to become down here. Guess what? I get to have a victory that I can offer to his creation so that they as individuals can choose to come back to me, that I have paid the price and that they can have freedom and they can have sanctification through me, my blood. He endured because he had his focus in the right place. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's put all of them up there. Willingly, lovingly, entrusted, intentionally, courageously endured. These are the choices we can make to lean into the sanctification that he brings into our lives that we cannot obtain on our own. It is not a matter of me choosing to be sanctified or else I get back into the same place of, gosh darn it, I need to do better this week and I know I got to stop taking and doing this, trying to control that, or those type of things, and then we do good for a little bit and then we fall back on our face again. The only thing that brings sanctification is the blood of Jesus Christ, but this is how I lean into it. Philippians 3, 10, 11, that I might know him, this is why Paul's motivation, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings because like him in his death, so I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In other words, if I want to take and have his power in my life and resurrection power in my life, then I get to choose to follow him. That, that's how we come into that sanctification. Does that make sense? Okay, so with the next verse, we're going to go back to the main section we've been looking at in this. John 17 is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden right before his arrest. And he made several statements that this is what I have done for my disciples so they can grow. And this particular key verse is, For their sake I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. That should get you. If you think that Jesus was just 100% God and you forget the fact that he was 100% man and he could have messed up any time that he wanted to, and you think, well, of course he was perfect. He was great. Now I have to be like him. I feel like I'm some kid that's just behaving. No, he chose to consecrate himself or to sanctify himself in this way so that you can do it too. Does that make sense? I think that's pretty cool. I love that Jesus loves us in that way. Some other voices I'll speak over to you, but I'm going to go too fast, so you're not going to be able to write them down, so you have to email me later, and I'll send them to you. Apologies up front. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I don't know. If you read, write fast, you might get these. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, even though he knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become righteous, the righteousness of God. First Peter 1, 18-19 knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from, the, from your forefathers, knowing that you have been saved, that he had paid the price that you were ransomed from the goofiness of this world, not with perishable things as with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. First John 3, 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. There is no sin. Um... I've been, listen, I've been like on an XM, serious XM kick for the last couple of years. And there's a channel, I'm trying to listen to it more. I'll, I'll be honest, like, I'll just uh, acknowledge up front as pastor, uh, I am horrible listening to people preach. I, I just, I, I, I am. Um, yeah, because 
this, I think part of it, I mean, there's certain people that really captivate me, but for the, for the most part, you're just kind of like, okay, I see what they're doing with that story to be able to set up this point, and you start dissecting, you lose all the fun of it. So, but I want to be outside my own box, and so there's a channel, I think it's called Family Talk. It's a pretty good channel. I'll get some David Jeremiah in there and some Charles Stanley, some people I've never heard of before. Uh, there's one show on there that's all about politics, and I don't like that kind of stuff. That's not really my thing. But anyways, there's this guy in there, I'd never heard of him before, and he was doing a question and answer type thing, and he, somebody had asked him about, are Christians sinners? Okay? And uh, I got interested because one of my favorite insults to do to people is to call people sinners. Um, and then I always say immediately afterwards, it's the best insult because we're all sinners. So I can call Monica a sinner, no problem, Kathy a sinner, no problem, and the rest of you because we're all sinners. Um, but the, oh, Cindy, thank you. That was fast. Yeah. Most people just, just let it skim right by. You, you had it. You got it. Okay. But anyways, so I'm listening, since we're all sinners, uh, and this guy, actually, he got, like, animated. Like, he got really kind of jacked up about the question, and he wasn't like that for the rest of the questions. And he was like, no, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Because, according to the scripture, and what I just read there, we are righteous because of the blood of Christ. It doesn't matter if we sin or not. We are going on our sanctification. And if we think of ourselves as sinners, then we set a low bar that doesn't encourage us to lean into fully what Christ has already claimed for us. So we are sanctified, and we're growing in that sanctification. And I was like, well, crap. Because <laughs> it's not as fun to call somebody sanctified. It's sinner sounds so much better. But I'm like, I think he has a little bit of a point. I think he's got a point. I am, because of his blood, sanctified. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm growing in my sanctification. And that is open to all of us, if we choose it or if we don't choose it. And so the, the attribute within this is basically asking myself, if I'm looking at these intentional relationships that you guys are talking about, and there's people that, Maybe I'm in chair three or chair four, maybe even in chair two, just reach out to people in chair one. Am I living a life of sanctification? Not that I'm never messing up, because that's not going to happen until I get home. But I'm living a life of sanctification. I'm growing a sanctification that is worthy to be reproduced. Am I living a life that's worth reproducing? Am I living a life that's worth reproducing? So that'd be the question I think that he calls us into and shows us ways that we can choose and lean into a little bit more. So that's the end of the sermon, but I've got something else for you too. Do me a favor. Go ahead and close up your books and your notes. You really won't need them for this little part. Um, but I think it goes along with what we had going today. Because here's my, my concern with sanctification uh, studies is it's very, very, very exciting unless if you look at it the wrong way, then you just feel guilty. Does that make sense? I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's kind of like Revelations. There's so much really cool stuff in Revelations, but if you just look at the scary stuff and you haven't accepted Jesus' leave and gave your life, it's really a crappy book to read. So it just depends on the perspective you're bringing to it. So anyways, we as a church, uh, we do believe in dreams. We believe in the interpretation of dreams. We look for confirmation of dreams to make sure it wasn't just a bad breeder that gave us a weird dream, but that it was something that the Holy Spirit's doing and you know, whatever the case may be. And we don't talk about it all the time, and it's not something that, you know, like, 
super weirdo type thing. And we don't bring up dreams like if something happens in our church, we don't say, oh, I dreamt about that two weeks ago, even though you know you probably didn't, but you're just trying to, anyways. So, and I know we just brought up a dream like three weeks ago about the lights and the, the living room, that kind of stuff. But got another one. And this one, if I'm wrong, it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody. And I'll never know, and I just feel, don't feel bad about it. Okay, so that said, with dreams for the last three, two, three years, we've been having, not just me, but others, repeated dreams about a house, right? And we've talked about this many times. And that in this house, whatever the case may be, uh, it's, it is a repeating theme of finding rooms that we did not know were in the house, even though we've lived there for a long period of time, fully furnished, and like, oh, crap, look, I've got like five more rooms I didn't even know and whatnot. And so, uh, and also within the dreams, my, my dreams, the, there's usually an older man that represents God and an older woman that represents the Holy Spirit or my mom and dad with the same representation. So all that said, that led to us a couple of years ago, if, and you'll see it out in the foyer if you want to. It looks like we have plans to add on to the building. We don't. We add on to our ministry by these rooms that we think God's calling us into. Generosity, our own personal uh, ministries, our own personal shape. There's several areas that we already were in and that we're going into. Um, and the only reason I bring all that up is because this dream is kind of moving into a room of the house that we have never explored. It's, it's just new. It's an extension of. So now the dream. Uh, so I had a dream about a homeless woman, and the homeless woman had found a basement uh, to be able to find cover, so just like enough room to have a, like a bed and a couple of things or whatnot, but she was living in this basement, but the owners didn't know she was living there, so she was like always quiet, always kind of on, on edge because she didn't want to get kicked out um, from, from this, this basement room that she found cover in. Um, and somewhere within it, and this, you know, I, this is why I know it's the Holy Spirit, not me, because I cannot stand socks. I hate socks. You know, if you throw glitter at my wife, she will never speak to you again. That's pretty well known in the church, right? You touch me with a dirty sock, I'm, I am not going to be Christian with you for the next five minutes. It's, it's so disgusting, disgusting. But this woman had an ample supply of white socks, and she, she would put them on, and she would use them for a little while, and the next thing you know, they get red or they get dirty, so she goes back and she chains again and tries over, and that just kind of kept repeating. And then all of a sudden, like, you know how dreams are, uh, she had, like, I think it was a bird. Is either that or a little bunny? I'm pretty sure it's a bird. I'm going to say bird, even though it has an R sound in it. But she had to find this, like, little bird and became, like, a friend, or, like, a little comfort animal. And so she's living in the basement with her white socks and, and these birds, right? And things are going really, really good until one day th there's a knock on the door. It, this is not a joke. This is a dream, so don't look for a punchline on this. Uh, she opens the door, and it's a gynecologist. And the gynecologist, hey, don't get scared. Gynecologist is not a dirty word. But the gynecologist says, I've, I've been set to make sure you're doing okay. And so, like a sitcom, I didn't see the exam, but it's implied. And, what? It's the truth. I'm just explaining the dream. It will make sense in a minute. It matters. So she's fine, and the doctor leaves. But then the woman starts thinking, uh, who sent the doctor? And then she realizes, crap, the owners know I'm down here. And so now she's getting really nervous. And so she has this door, and she kind of looks up her nerves to open the door, and there's steps going up 
to the back door. It's kind of like a few of my old house in Waldo. It's kind of like that set up. And, um, and she looks up the steps, and she can see the back door is open. And there's a suitcase there. And not, I don't know how she knew how I knew, but everything she pretty much needed was in there. There's like clothes and personal supplies and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And then she closes the door again, and she's like still kind of stressed out. And then a little bit later, she opens the door again, and she looks up, and the suitcase is still there. And so is this woman by the door. Now, the woman's not looking down at her. I mean, obviously, the, one of the owners of the house. I looking down on her, judgment with not, but she's kind of looking aside, like talking to somebody else, but just kind of up there. And then I wake up. Still with me so far? Here's, I'm telling you, sometimes, like, you just immediately, like, Mike was telling me about a dream this past week, and, and he had already, he, he's like, well, it just kind of seems to me, and boom, and like, I'm like, yeah, I confirmed that, you nailed it. Uh, but sometimes it takes a lot of, like, prayer and, and uh, thinking about it and going through it step by step. And this is, this is one of those prayers, and this is what, what it comes up to. As we're talking about sanctification this week, as we're talking about discipling others, as we're talking to grow to be more like Jesus, uh, I am aware, and I believe the dream saying that God is aware, that there are those in our midst whether it be in the church or online or whatever the case would be, who don't fully feel like they fit in. That um, tend to stay maybe back towards the corners and the shadows, uh, kind of sits by themselves before and after church, but uh, this doesn't feel like home yet because they're afraid that if other people really knew the struggles they have. If other people really knew the mistakes they've made in the past. If other people believe some of the things that they struggle with when it comes to God and their beliefs and they're still trying to figure things out, that they would be shunned. And I think that's kind of shocking compared to my church in the past and this church. I don't have that concern, but I believe people feel that way sometimes. And so when we're talking about sanctification, that can be a little bit overwhelming. I believe maybe we've made a friend or two Maybe we have a boat or two in the house that we have some comfort that we made some connection with. I believe we tried to make some steps in our spiritual walk. We didn't put on shoes and commit to those laces, but we put on socks and tried. And then when they get soiled or it gets dirty, we come back and take them off and we try again. You still with me? And I really believe... The things to take from that is that God is so mindful of you. Hannah was sharing some things, about three things that came together that made something else, and she just was really amazed by how that came together. I think if we watch, we see that a lot with God, that he is showing us, I'm mindful of you and what you're going through. And in an intimate way, I think it's, it has to be a gynecologist and not some general practitioner. In an intimate way, I want to make sure you're okay. And I want to love on you, and I want to move you forward. And it's okay that you're in my basement. It's okay you're in my basement. You're not hiding here. It's okay. But when you're ready, and you come up those stairs, you put on the shoes, according to the scripture, the shoes are the, the peace of the gospel. When you accept Jesus as leader forgiving your life, and you accept that relationship sanctification with him, and you start going up those steps, everything you need is right here at the top. And the Holy Spirit is right there, ready to go with you. He's not looking down the steps, judging you, or giving dirty looks, or anything of that nature. It's all right here. Because while it's okay for you to be in the basement for a little bit, for a season, that's not what he's called you to for your life. 
I know a lady who's been in the basement for 20 years. 20 years. God's hiding me down here. Not for 20 years. He's got so much more for you as we grow in our discipleship and lead others with us. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion, Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.